Okay. But born again. Amen. Born again. If you're able, please stand. Turn to hymn number 791. As we sing Jesus, we just want to thank you. We owe him a lot of thanks. Jesus, we just want to thank you. Jesus, we just want to thank you. Jesus, we just want to thank you. on praising Jesus we just want to praise you praise you for being so good Savior we just want to serve you Savior we just want to serve a good one. Amen. Jesus, we know you are coming. Jesus, we know you are coming. Take us to live in your home. Amen. Hymn number 386. Hymn number 386, the comforter has come, the Father shall give you another comforter, John 14, 16. As we sing the first and the last verse. Oh, spread the tidings round, wherever man is found, wherever you Divine, I shall. 
this tongue of mine to wandering mortals tell the matchless grace divine that I, a child of hell, should in his image shine the for the most important part of the service, the preaching of God's Word. Amen. Appreciate it. Most important part for us tonight might be getting out of here. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Good to have y'all with us tonight, and uh, thankful for each of you uh, being here. And uh, tonight, uh, let's turn open to Psalm number 10, Psalm 10. We'll pray in just a moment. I want to give a quick little introduction because it's just what you're supposed to do. But up here we've got a, a few friends of ours. And um, that we know them from, from Danville. As a matter of fact, this is uh, Justin and, and Emma Oaks. And uh, Justin is the pastor at Temple Baptist, which is where I just came from. So he's cleaning up that mess I made down there. And I'm just kidding. But they're real dear, sweet friends. And uh, we appreciate them both being here. And uh, Justin is one of those preachers that every one of us other preachers envies a little bit. He not only preaches good, but he's taller than you are, and so he can reach higher shelves, but he also sings and plays just about every instrument that there is. And the rest of us preachers, all we can do is preach and look good. So you, that's, <laughs> at least you got those two things. So you might have their instruments and stuff, but you ain't got the good-looking part. But, you know, I'm just kidding. But it's good to have them with us, and uh, thank for them being here. And uh, anyways, tonight, uh, let's pray, and let's ask the Lord to uh, help us. And uh, just grateful for the opportunity that we can gather. And, and, uh, and thank you for those songs picking out tonight. I didn't know either one of those songs. It, it, were those songs new for anybody? All right, a couple of us. One of them was, right? Half of them, 50-50. Just couldn't remember it, right? Um, I appreciate uh, getting some different songs, and, and uh, that was really, really good. Um, you know, our hymn books, sometimes we forget. The whole reason why the hymn books were given is not just to sing songs, but to teach us about the Lord. And, and we often sing about that much of it. And it's a lot like our Bible reading sometimes. We get about that much, but there's all this other good stuff in there. And so I'm grateful for those songs. But anyways, let's, uh, let's pray tonight. Ask the Lord to help us. And tonight I want to give us just a, a couple of quick things as we've been going through these uh, words of wisdom as we're going to look tonight at Psalm uh, number 10 and the importance of it. And hopefully it'll just uh, touch our hearts tonight. But let's pray. Uh, our Heavenly Father, we thank you for each one that's here and grateful for the opportunity to gather to worship you and Lord, to sing these songs of praise. And we do pray, God, that you would... Um, just give us uh, grace tonight as we gather, Lord, that our hearts would be open to your word, and, and Lord, that we would receive what we need tonight. Lord, we thank you for the worship that we've had here from this morning to this evening, and, and Lord, for each soul that's come here today, God, I pray that you would bless them and encourage them. Lord, we do also want to lift up uh, Sister Janice to you tonight. We do pray for specific and special healing for her, for her lungs tonight, and Lord, that you would, as well tonight, as we're gathering to uh, sing and, and to hear from your word, Lord, that you would prepare our hearts for this upcoming week and whatever we might face in this life, Lord, we certainly don't know what's going to even happen later on this evening or tonight or let alone if the morning's going to come, but God, we do 
uh, come to you and, and trust you. And Lord, help us to do just that tonight. And God, that you would prepare us for these things. God, that we might know you more. And Lord, we love you. We thank you once more for this time. We uh, ask that you keep your hands upon us. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. Now, Psalm number 10 here uh, tonight. I want to read the, the whole thing in, in entirety. It's, it's 18 verses, so y'all just, just buckle up. And, uh, but there's a lot of good stuff here. And, and really, there's just a couple of big sections um, that we're going to be addressing. Now, first of all, let's read verse number one. It says, the psalmist says, um, uh, Psalm 10, verse number one says, God stand, uh, Why standest thou afar off, O Lord? Why hidest thou thyself in times of trouble? The wicked in his pride doth persecute the poor. Let them be taken in the devices that they have imagined. For the wicked boasteth of his heart's desire and, the, and blesseth the covetous whom the Lord abhorreth. The wicked through the pride of his countenance will not seek after God. God is not in all his thoughts. His ways are always grievous. The judgments are far above out of his sight. As for all his enemies, he puffeth at them. He hath said in his heart, I shall not be moved, for I shall never be in adversity. His mouth is full of cursing and deceit and fraud. Under his tongue is mischief and vanity. He sitteth in the lurking places of the villages, and the secret places doth he murder the innocent. His eyes are privily set against the poor. He lieth in wait secretly as a lion in his den. He lieth in wait to catch the poor. He doth catch the poor when he draweth him into his net. He croucheth and humbleth himself that the poor may fall by the strong one, his strong ones. He hath said in his heart, God hath forsaken, or excuse me, God hath forgotten. He hideth his face. He will never see it. Arise, O Lord, O God. Lift up thine hand. Forget not the humble. Wherefore doth the wicked con, uh, contemn, him, uh, contemn God? He hath said in his heart, Thou wilt not require it. Thou hast seen it. For thou beholdest mischief and spite to require it with thine hand. The poor committeth himself unto thee. Thou art the helper of the fatherless. Break thou the arm of the wicked and the evil man. Seek out his wickedness till thou find none. The Lord is king forever and ever. The heathen are perished out of his land. Lord, thou hast heard the desire of the humble. Thou wilt prepare their heart. Thou wilt cause thine ear to hear. To judge the fatherless and the oppressed and the, uh, that the man of the earth may no more oppress. Uh, we find a great deal of truths here. There are some who put Psalm 9 and 10 together. The reason being is that both are acrostic in their, um, in their forms, which is basically each stanza or each sentence starts with a particular letter in order of the Hebrew alphabet. And we're not going to get into all that tonight. But what I want us to look at, first of all, is verse number one. This is the big question. This is the big question that we come to here. It says, why standest thou far off, O Lord? Why hidest thou, uh, thou thyself in times of trouble? The Psalms are full of this sort of language where one moment the psalmist feels that God could not be farther from him nor he farther from God. And then the next psalm over, he could not be any closer to God. And we find, why is this so? Is the psalmist going back and forth? Is he just tossed about? Is he just not stable or solid in his faith? What is this? Rather, what we find is the truth throughout the Psalms, the same truth that you and I know and understand is that is there are days in our life that whether it's because of circumstances or sin, we will feel so close to the Lord as if he's just right there, which by the way, he is. Or we feel the opposite where our prayers are hitting the, the ceiling and, and bouncing back. We feel as if God has uh, turned his back on us or so far off. And, uh, you know, we often feel that way, don't we? Now, many of us would certainly not like to admit that we're, uh, spiritually that way sometimes, but we do get to those places. 
The psalm here, a psalm of David, we would believe, looking at the rest of the psalms earlier on and in context with Psalm 9 as well, if this is David here speaking, this is a man who is after God's own heart who would be able to cry out and say, Why standest thou far off, O Lord? Why hidest thou thyself in times of trouble? Well, we've read the other nine psalms so far to this point, and so far God has been there in times of trouble. God has heard and inclined his ear, and he's been there for the righteous. But yet here the psalmist asks this question. This is a natural question. But notice what the psalmist does not do. The psalmist does not accuse God of ceasing to be God, nor does he say that, God, you're, you're not there. You've forgotten me. You've forsaken me. Uh, you have nothing to do with me anymore. Uh, we've broken our relationship. He doesn't say those things. Rather, what is expressed here is the question of a, of a one who has a heart that feels as if they cannot carry on. Have you ever gotten to that place in your walk with the Lord? that you just feel that today's burden is just too heavy and I don't know I can take another step, right? I have. I'm honest enough to say so. There are days when we feel that way because it feels that everything has come against us. And we've been talking about David, especially in the context of all these psalms so far. If anyone had everything coming against him, it was certainly David. Uh, His people had gone against him. His family had gone against him. Uh, Everything seemed to be against him. Even at times during this period of writing these psalms where he's literally fleeing for his life, that he's literally uh, trying to hide from the enemy that is very near to him, that is trying to kill him, to get rid of him, to stomp out not just his life, but as well as his legacy. And now as we come here to this question, the question is raised. And I would say here in verse number one, I would like to make the statement that it is okay to ask questions to the Lord. It's certainly okay to ask him in prayer about things, but it is not an okay thing to accuse God of something. Does that make sense? Because there's a difference. We can ask, Lord, why is it this way? Lord, how come I'm feeling this way? God, why do I feel this distance? God, why do they hate me? God, why is this going on this way? And he very well may answer. He also very well may tell us to wait and hold on. And that is still yet an answer as well. But it is not okay to go and say, God, I just don't think this is right. I don't think this is fair. I don't think what you're, you're doing here, how could you let this happen to me? Don't you know who I am? Boy, that sounds pretty prideful, don't it? But is that not what we do sometimes in our prayer life and even thought life? And I'm guilty of that as well. We look and see how others prosper, how other things go, or how it seems like the ones who should get the short end of the stick never get the short end of the stick. And we just go, life's not fair. And we get upset, the Lord, about it. But you know something? If life was truly fair... As we talked about this morning, none of us would be here. We'd be in hell. We'd be separated from God. We wouldn't be saved. We wouldn't know God. And so God has been more than fair with us. He's been gracious and merciful to us. And the psalmist knows this. But I believe it is perfectly okay in our prayer to ask the Lord these questions. It's a part of our hearts being poured out to God. It's a part of our prayer process. And we should be so candid with God that we are able to go and to speak to him, not in a brash manner where we say, God, why is this happening? Who are you to do this? But rather to say, Lord, I don't understand these things. And I think that's the real key here. The psalmist does not understand why is this so. His heart is troubled. His life is full of troubles at this point. And he looks and says, why hidest thyself in times of trouble? He feels as if everything is coming against him that he can't go any further. And as the psalms are, are building here, though, what we've seen and what we know about God that is being prayed to, the, this God who is being cried out to by the psalmist, it is from Psalm 9 all the way backwards, we find that all that God is and all that God does 
is righteous, just, and good. But yet in our human nature, we still have these questions arise. The Psalms perhaps reveal the most clear picture of what human nature is like, especially in relationship to God and other people. The one moment, everything is great, everything is wonderful, and I'm so close to the Lord, and the next minute it feels I'm so far away, I've sinned or someone's against me, and uh, is God even hearing me, and all these things. It shows us what our human condition is like, and even more so what our spiritual life is at times like. It's not just a straight-up shot, is it? No, there's the ups, the downs, the twists, the turns, the upside down and corkscrew sometimes in our Christian walk. But here, I want to look at this. The question here, as one commentator writes, also introduces the riddle of the prosperity of the wicked and the suffering of the righteous. The riddle is not resolved, but is refocused on God, on the God who cares for his own. What we find is that when we talk to those who don't know the Lord, one of the biggest questions that you get is, is this, that I've heard the most as an objection to God or the Bible or things. If God is good, then why do bad things happen? Or you hear, why do bad things happen to good people? And I answer the question in a way that most don't like, but that's okay. <laughs> I'm used to that by now, I guess. <laughs> Y'all probably are too. But when we ask the question, why do bad things happen to good people? First of all, I ask this, who are good people? Define good. Because if you think there's good people, then you don't know people. And so bad things don't happen to good people. Bad things happen to people. Because people, unfortunately, live in sin-cursed fallen bodies in a sin-cursed fallen world. So there is natural, wicked, and evil, and bad things that happen. Now, what they're really meaning when they ask the question, why do bad things happen to good people, is going, based upon my own morality, I think this person is good, or I think that I'm good, so therefore, if God is good and he sees my goodness, then why does this bad thing happen to me? And the riddle is asked, and the, the answer is not given here, but what we do know is this, that in this world, there will be unexplainable and inexplicable turmoil and trials that you and I will go through that we just won't understand. And you and I are always looking for the answer but what the psalmist does here is not give the answer, but rather what he does is he points and gives a better picture. When we're looking for the answer as to why bad things happen, the answer is not, you know, X and Y and Z or A, B and C. The answer is to look past this trial, to look past the circumstance and to look at God who is always just, righteous, holy and fair and good in all that he does and in all that he is. Most of the time, the reason why we struggle through these times of troubles is about perspective. Every situation that happens, and I would say this on a personal level, everything that happens inside of a church that you don't like, there is someone on the other side who does like it that way, <laughs> right? Imagine being me, right? It's a time, I'm telling you, right? But you think about this, we, we all see from different perspectives, points of views, What's fair to one person is not fair to the next. What is good to one is unfortunately not good to the other. And there is no pleasing people. Why? Because we can't do it. Because we see that we all base fairness or goodness off of what we think is good instead of looking at goodness based upon who God is. The issue is the fact that we spend more time looking at our circumstances, situations, or even those who have wronged us and how they've wronged us than we do looking at the God who one day is going to make it right. If I believe that one day God's going to make it right, then the one little thing that happened to me 
on such and such date that we could all probably remember by such and such person sitting in such and such pew or such and such hallway or Sunday school room, we can go back and look and go, you know what? In comparison to eternity, it don't matter to a hill of beans, does it? It don't even matter to one bean, let alone a hill. I want to give to you tonight one of my favorite, one of my favorite hymns or songs. I guess it's a hymn. Uh, the song is Farther Along. It's often sung as bluegrass, and I, I love the song. It's got me through a lot, of, a lot of trials. When I, too, like the psalmist, mind you, and I'm, I'm unspiritual enough to be honest with you tonight and tell you that there's times that I've asked the Lord these things and have prayed and felt this way. And, and if it's okay for the preacher, it's probably okay for you, too, so cut yourself a little bit of slack tonight, all right? We're, we're human here. We're human here. But the opening of a song says, Tempted and tried, we're off made to wonder why it should be thus all the day long. While there are others living about us, never molested, though in the wrong. Farther along, we'll know all about it. Farther along, we'll understand why. Cheer up, my brother. Live in the sunshine. We'll understand it all by and by. And that, that gives me hope. And I want to turn here for just a moment to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Most of you might know where I'm going here with this. I want to touch on this for just a moment, then we'll get to the rest of the psalm. But I believe that this is important. I want us to answer the issue of this question before we get through the rest and look and examine, because the rest of the psalm mostly examines how the wicked works and how the wicked rules and how the wicked operates. And we're going to see and address how when you have a lost person, you can only expect lost people to do what lost people do. Someone who does not know the Lord will never naturally do what we think or what the Bible thinks is good or right. As a matter of fact, they're going to do the opposite. And so we want to answer this question, though, when we talk about trying to answer how do bad things happen? Why do these things happen? Why do the psalmist feel the way that he does? Why do we feel the way that we do sometimes? Farther along, I believe we will understand it, but 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16 tells us, For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, Yet the inward man is renewed day by day. I believe David, while he certainly had not read 2 Corinthians chapter 4, certainly knew about what this meant. He knew what it meant to, to be hungered and thirst like the Apostle Paul. He knew what it was like to be hated and persecuted and to have everyone come against you. He knew what it was like to have things not go your way, even though he was righteous before God. And I believe for him, though, he knew that if I perish in my body or if I'm hungry and can't eat for days or if I'm thirsty or whatever it is my outward man might be perishing literally because our outward man is perishing right let's let's understand that we know that every morning that we wake up we're we're one day closer aren't we we know that our inward man is renewed though day by day that means we are to be growing more mature to be more confident in the gospel to grow more confident daily in who God is and to know that Hey, this morning I woke up with a new scratch, bump, or bruise, or ache, or pain. But inwardly, I'm one step closer to meeting my Savior. And if we had that sort of view, then the little things that happen to us along the way wouldn't matter as much. It's about perspective. It's about our focus. He then says in verse 17, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. You who might suffer a physical ailment or even attacks on your life, 
your whole life, mind you. It's just a light momentary affliction. That you and I, our great big problem, or that great big offense in our life, it's great big. But in the grand scheme of eternity, it is a light and momentary affliction. It's, it's like that. It's, it's, not even a, it's not even a blister there. It's, not even, uh, it's, it's nothing compared to who God is. It's nothing compared to the weight of glory which awaits us. In verse 18, he says, While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So when we turn back to Psalm 10 and we find ourselves in a place like the psalmist where we come to God in prayer and we say, Why standest thou far off, O Lord? Why hidest thou thyself in times of trouble? Or we get as we would might pray, and Lord, I just don't feel like you even hear my prayer today. God, I don't even feel like I can come to you today. God, I just feel like my, my prayer just, just goes and comes right back. And like it's just, I feel so disconnected. I feel powerless and, and helpless. May our hearts turn and continue to turn to God and to have our perspective go, you know what, this is but a moment. This might be the biggest thing going on in my life right now, but in the grand scheme of things, God's got billions times billions of other things going on that are far bigger and far worse. You take these couple truths tonight, and it's not here in black and white, but it's pretty true. Right now, whatever your situation is, one, think about this. Someone always has it better than you. <laughs> it's true. Two, someone always has it worse than you. Three, if you're in Christ, this is the worst it will ever get. That's it. Four, I don't, I don't know. Suck it up, buttercup. <laughs> I mean, that's about it. Now we get to Psalm 10, and I want us to look now at the next section. The next section is going to show the way of the wicked ruler. And what it does is it discusses those who are against the psalmist. It discusses even eschatologically the way that the Antichrist is going to work one day. And, and the way that these next few verses basically do is they're going to go, the wicked does this wicked thing. Now I want you to know that that's very key because if someone is without Christ, they are wicked. Therefore, they don't do anything that is good. They only do that which is wicked. Excuse me, now that you might say, well, they, they got a good heart. No, they don't. <laughs> the Bible is clear about that. There are those who would even say, follow your heart. Don't do that. He's, he says that the, our heart is desperately and deceitfully wicked. It's vile. It's full of cursings and, and sin. It's, it, it's awful, right? That any good thing that we might can muster up is still filthy rags. That's it. Now let's look here. First of all, these characteristics given of each wicked individual, ruler, and ultimately pointing to the Antichrist. Here's the first one. Number one and verse number two. Well, yeah, verse number two gives us <laughs> number one here. The wicked in his pride persecutes the poor. He says in verse number two, the wicked in his pride to persecute the poor, let them be taken in the devices that they have imagined. The word, the word persecute here literally means to hunt down in anger and with urgency. Now, if you get mad and you got to talk to somebody about this, right, you're going to hunt them down, aren't you? You're going to do what you can to find them. And you're not doing so normally with a smile on your face. Normally it's huffing and puffing. It's I'll huff and I'll puff and I'll blow your house down, right? It, uh, we're, we're coming with bad intentions. We're coming to 
get this problem solved. We're, we're coming to make sure that we have vengeance is mine. It's easy to go that route, and I understand that. It's easy in our human flesh to get this way. But the wicked in his pride, he persecutes the poor. It's the idea of he, he's snatching his teeth. He's seeking. And as later on, we're going to find that he's like a lion hunting his prey. It's that whole idea that the wicked, what he does is he's literally prowling around to persecute, to hunt down, to sniff out his prey so that he might overtake them. But one day, though, what we find is this, that those who are poor, Jesus says, blessed are they. Blessed are the, the pure. Blessed are the poor. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are these folks in his kingdom. But we look and we see that the wicked in his pride, it is pride that sends him to persecute the poor. The, the poor who are the, the helpless, the needy, the ones who he is after. The, even the ones that is implied, the, those who are righteous before God. He's seeking them. It is his pride. And ultimately, the wicked in every root that he's got of all that he is, is nothing but pride. Pride sends him to seek his enemy. Pride seeks uh, vengeance and pride seeks power and authority and all these different things that we're about to find. But notice at the end of verse 2, Psalmist says, let them be taken in the devices that they have imagined. One day those who are hotly pursuing the destruction of the righteous will be persecuted or hunted down by God himself. The idea found in verse 2 is that the psalmist prays, prays, God They might be persecuting now. They might be hunting down the poor now. But God, let them fall under the same suit and let them fall under their same devices, their same traps. I believe that the Lord is one who certainly has a sense of humor at times. It it feels that way. Certainly is one who has a way of showing forth some irony. That the one who persecutes the poor and hunts them down will one day be hunted down at the judgment seat. He will not escape. The poor might not escape the the persecutors right now on this earth. There's going to be a day where everyone who has persecuted the righteous or has gone against God's ways will not escape judgment. And that's severe for those who don't know the Lord. But for those of us who know the Lord and and are called righteous because of what Christ has done for us, that gives us hope knowing that while they might hunt us down now, there's going going to be a day where God will have his final word and say, And we also find then verse number three. It says, For the wicked boasteth of his heart's desire and blesseth the covetous whom the Lord abhorreth. Verse number three tells us that the wicked boasts in himself and others who are wicked. The reason why is because the heart's desire of everyone outside of faith in Christ is nothing but wicked. Wicked hearts only have wicked desires. This is why when we talk about church growth or things like that, we, we don't go seeking what the world might say is a good idea. We do the opposite. Because what the world wants is the flesh. What the world wants is the way of the world. What the world wants is ultimately the way of the devil, the way of Antichrist, as we'll see later on in the future. What we find is that the wicked boasts in himself, and he boasts of those who are covetous and those who are like these lines as he's about to describe, and those who are persecuting and heaping up all they can. But what does God say? That he abhorreth them. Proverbs chapter 28 even describes this about how these six things, yeah, even seven, an abomination that God hates. God hates these things. Someone say, well, God is love. He can't hate. He hates that which is against him, against his word, against his will that goes contrary to him. 
And we've already read in the Psalms uh, several times that the Lord is angry with the wicked. The Lord is angry with those who are against Him, angry with those who are against uh, His people. They call or celebrate the evil things. Sounds familiar in our day and age, doesn't it? Isaiah 5.20 tells us, Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. What we have found in our world today is that exact mentality. It's the mentality found in the book of Judges that that which is right in our own eyes, that's what we'll do. And what we see in today's land, and, and, and I'm talking about here in our own country, is, is that sort of mentality that what is evil according to God's word, we, we celebrate, we promote, we love, we enjoy. That which God loves, though, we say, oh, that's evil, that's bigoted, that's racist, that's this, that's that. The world has it backwards. Why does the world have it backwards? Because they don't know God. And if you don't know God, you don't know anything. You, you know nothing. You have no real knowledge outside of God and knowing Him. Verse number 4 tells us this. The wicked through the pride of his countenance will not seek after God. God is not in all his thoughts. Verse 4 tells us that the wicked in his pride will not seek God. There are those who do not know Christ who say, you know, I'm, I'm just searching for, for the Lord. You know, I'm in my own walk with Him. No, you're not. The, the Bible is very clear that without Christ and before Christ, we don't seek Him because darkness doesn't seek the light. Matter of fact, if, if you've got roaches in your house, I hope you don't, but if you do, the roaches are never looking to see, hey, I'd like to get some sunlight in this place. Think we could spruce, up, spruce it up a little bit in these cabinets? Don't do that. It wants the darkness and only the darkness. It has an appetite for darkness. It has a love for the darkness. It does not want the light. John chapter 3 tells us this. The darkness hates the light. I want to turn for just a moment Romans chapter 3, verses 10 to 18 are going to give us a picture of really the rest of this psalm about the wicked and what his heart is like, what his life is like. In this pride, the wicked man feels self-sufficient. That's why he won't seek God. And we are living in a self-everything generation. Everything is about self. Everything is self-centered, self-love, self-worth, self-this, self-image, self-everything. The worship of self is what the Bible would call pride and idolatry. We just don't like calling it that. We like calling it self-esteem. We don't like calling it idolatry, which is what it is. Now, I'm not saying hate yourself. What I'm saying is that we should do what the Bible tells us to do, and that is put our flesh to death, meaning we mortify our sinfulness. We mourn over our sin. We mourn over our wickedness. We seek to suppress and crush not righteousness and truth but rather that which is wicked in our flesh that still remains romans 3 verse 10 tells us this as it is written there is none righteous no not one how many righteous are there none okay good job there is none that understandeth how many understand none how about this one there is none that seeketh after god how many seek god none so how did we even get saved he sought you. I would not love God unless he loved me first. How do I know? It's what the Bible says. Go read 1 John. Right? Better yet, come to Sunday school. You might learn something, right? We're going to get to it, 1 John. But we love God, and we know God, and we know how what love is only because he first loved us. If he doesn't do that, 
we're lost and undone forever. We have no hope. It is He who seeks us, like the good shepherd of our soul who goes unto his sheep and calls them, and they know His voice, and they come unto Him, and they follow Him. That's the idea here. He says in verse 12 about the wicked, they are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. And then he adds, no, not one. I think that's important there because what some would say, well, you know, most people are pretty bad, but I know so-and-so and they're just, you know, they're, they're nice. Or they did one good thing. Or they, they try real hard, but he clearly makes it plain as day throughout this whole passage. They're not profitable. They're, they're, they do no good and they, not even one of them does. And then he says this in verse 13, and we're going to get to this later on in the psalm. Their throat is an open sepulcher. Sepulcher is what you now would call a graveyard. It's a grave. All that goes in there is dead folks. Dead folks stay dead, and dead folks rot. And dead folks eventually start to stink. They reek of death. And here, what he says is that their throat is an open sepulcher. It's like when they speak, when the lost man speaks, all that is in his voice or mouth or throat is nothing but death itself. And then he says, with their tongues, they have used deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. James goes on to discuss this and say, out of the same mouth that blesses God, it's the same mouth that then gives gossip and slander and all these things. And he says, brethren, those things ought not be so. I would say this, us Bible-believing Baptists, we will shout down every sermon that's ever preached against abortion and LGBTQ plus and all those things that we know blatantly are wicked before God, but we get real quiet when we talk about gossip. We get real quiet when we talk about church membership and discipline and pride and, right? See? <laughs> I'm just messing with you, right? We're, we're guilty, aren't we? And we know it, but that's why we don't like it. Because we don't do what we call the gross sins of the world, but we still do sin that is very gross before the sight of God. And don't think for a minute that your lying tongue, deceiving tongue, or manipulative tongue or throat is not full of death and wickedness. And that God hates it, by the way. It is still at the very end of Proverbs 28 where God says that He hates those who cause division amongst brethren and those who, who have these sorts of usages of their tongues and, and, and their mouths for nothing but evil. We must be careful what we let in and what comes out of our mouth. We must be, as James goes on to say, slow to speak, and slow to wrath, quick to listen. And we ought to even, I'd say, to listen, just to listen, not even to respond. Sometimes no response is a good response. Y'all learned that as a young child, I'm sure. If you ain't got nothing nice to say, don't say nothing at all. Isn't that right? He continues and says, Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. In the way of peace have they not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. As we come back to Psalm 10, the reason why the wicked do these things is because ultimately in their root, not just the pride that they have for themselves, but pride in oneself comes because they don't fear God. The reason why you sin, the reason why I sin, the reason why you have pride and gossip, the reason why I have pride and gossip is because we don't fear God as we ought to. 
we say God sees the heart. God sees the heart. And we rejoice when it's someone else who's done wrong against us. But heaven help us if we have that call to mind when we do something wrong. God sees your wicked heart too, just like mine. We must be careful. We continue on back in Psalm 10, verses 5 and 6. Tell us this, His ways are always grievous. The judgments are far above out of his sight. As for all his enemies, he puffeth at them. He has said in his heart, I shall not be moved, for I shall never be in adversity. Verses 5 and 6 tell us the wicked is puffed up and hardened in heart. The ways of God are not in his sight or plans. He puffeth at his enemies. It's the idea of to snort or to sneer. It's to scoff. Just, oh. right, we hear those noises more than amens in a church, don't we? It's the snorts and the sneers, and we, we, we look at our enemies and those we don't like, and we just, our faces tell us, don't we, right? We speak that way, and we're all guilty, because right now, you're probably thinking about somebody else in the church, but they're probably thinking about you. That's right. The ways of these wicked people, they are puffed up and they're hardened. And the way of those who are righteous, like the psalmist, the way of the righteous, which is you and me tonight, is not supposed to be this way puffeth and they snort and they sneer that those that they are against in his pride he believes that nothing can stop him because he has seemingly gotten gotten away with sin he says in verse six i shall never be in adversity i shall not be moved the idea is he says i've gotten away with my sin this long and i'll keep on i've always done it this way and no one's ever stopped me and god certainly hasn't so i must be the one that's in the right you can continue to think so, but God will stop you one day. And when God stops you, He don't do it the way you'd like. He does it His way. And by then, it's going to be the hard way. It ain't going to be the easy way anymore. The easy way is one of mournful, humble repentance. The hard way is continuing to run and continue to be puffed up and hardened before God and to say, oh, I'll get by with this. I'll get by with this. And the reason why the wicked one in the world today who does not know Christ does what he does is because he firmly believes in his heart that he will not answer anybody at the end of his life, and two, that even if he did, that he would get by with it because after all, God is love. God would certainly let me in because I'm a good person and I've been really sincere and I haven't done the real bad things in the world. I didn't kill nobody. If not killing anybody was the measure to get in heaven, there'd be a whole lot more people in there. But instead, Jesus says, if you hated a man in your heart, you committed murder. So we get it mixed up. The world certainly has it mixed up. Verse 7 then tells us this. As we addressed already in Romans 3, his mouth is full of cursing and deceit and fraud. Under his tongue is mischief and vanity. Verse 7, the wicked tells us that the wicked have wicked uh, mouths and tongues bringing forth destruction. A couple commentators write, one, one writes, but the wicked are so powerful and persuasive in their speech that they always seem to get their way. Their speech reflects their schemings and their intent is to work destruction. There are those who seem to get their way for a while, but it will only last for a while. They will show themselves who they are, and God will not be mocked any longer. Another commentator, Boyce, writes, Cursing, lying, threatening, and troubling, and evil speech are all destructive. They flow from one who does not believe that God will hold him or her accountable. That's a sad truth of not just the lost world today, but much of the saved world is that we think we can get by with our sin. Just because we are saved does not give us a license to do what we want. 
We are not the boss of our own lives. We're not the captains of our own boat and ship. That's not it. It's all for the Lord, all by Him, through Him, for Him. What we find is that just because you're saved does not mean that you don't have to conform to the rest of this book. Matter of fact, it means the opposite, that you are even more so to conform to the rest of this book and to be holy as He is holy and to not do the things that He abhors and hates. To not do the things that are described as wicked. Verse 8 and 11 then come as the next big chunk. It says, He sitteth in the lurking places of the villages and the secret places doth He murder the innocent. His eyes are privily set against the poor. He lieth in wait secretly, secretly as a lion in his den. He lieth in wait to catch the poor. He doth catch the poor when he draweth him into his net. He croucheth and humbleth himself, humbleth himself that the poor may fall by his strong ones. He hath said in his heart, God hath forgotten. He hideth his face. He will never see it. Verse 8-11 through 11 tells us that the wicked scheme against the righteous and they scheme against the righteous judge. To sin against the church of God or to sin against the people of God is to sin against God Himself. It's to commit a crime not just against the one that you did it to, but ultimately to God Himself. And we be careful with how we conduct ourselves in the church house and with those who belong to the church. The psalmist is very aware of this. He knows how the wicked are. The wicked are like this hiding lion waiting to devour The hiding wicked man believes that he is hidden from the sight of God and he waits in the dark to bring about destruction. Most others are unaware of his intentions or her intentions. And they wait like a lion. And he will snatch or she will snatch up some. But one day God will have judgment. They might be in the dark now, but what is done in the dark will be brought to the light. What has been sown will be reaped. And they will reap a whirlwind. Verse 12 18 then tell us the way of the righteous king. This is the real message tonight. The real message is found in these next few verses, and we'll be done. The psalmist then calls upon God for deliverance. Arise, O Lord. O God, lift up thine hand. Forget not the humble. Wherefore doth the wicked condemn? God, he hath said in his heart, Thou wilt not require it. Thou hast seen it, for thou beholdest mischief and spite to require it with thine hand. The poor committeth himself unto thee. Thou art the helper of the fatherless. Break thou the arm of the wicked and the evil man. Seek out his wickedness till thou find none. Here's here's the message. The Lord is king forever and ever. The heathen are perished out of his land. Lord, thou hast heard the desire of the humble. Thou wilt prepare their heart. Thou wilt cause thine ear to hear. To judge the fatherless and the oppressed that the man of the earth may no more oppress. The psalmist calls for God to arise, lift up thine hand, forget not the humble, even to break the arm of the wicked. The idea of breaking the arm of the wicked, it's with your arm is how you do your work. With your arm is how you catch and snatch, as he's just described. You can't do that with broken arms. He's calling for God to arise and to not let the wicked prosper any longer. God will have his way in his time. The idea throughout the rest of the psalm here in this passage we just read is that God will one day lift up his voice and hand against the wicked forever. Though in the here and now the enemies of God seem to prosper or get away with it, they will soon experience the Lord who is king forever and ever. Because he is king forever and ever, one day the wicked will be perished out of his land. 
the great hope for you and I is that one day you might have to, right now, share a spot in this life or relationship with those who are wicked or vile or even come against you, maybe even hate you, maybe even not for even a good reason. But one day, if they do not know the Lord, God will take care of it. Now that sounds severe and it sounds harsh and it doesn't sound all lovey-dovey and nice, but guess what? It's the truth. One of our greatest hopes in the Christian life is knowing that while right now the wicked prosper, right now those who are against God seem to get by with it and get away with it, and, and, and why we ask it, and I'll be honest with you, I've asked that question. God, I, I'm doing all these boxes that you tell me to do, so why is this not lining up? How come so-and-so I know is living in sin and it goes their way every time? How come they don't have these struggles and I know they don't know you? I know they don't care about you or, or, or serving you. So why? Why? The reminder comes back all the same that I don't get the answer of why in the moment, but I get the big picture of looking. This is a light momentary affliction. and One day, God will judge both parties. And if I'm right before the Lord... He will do that which is right. He will reward both justly. One day I will get rewards if the Lord is going to give those to me because He's looked down upon my estate and by His grace I've been able to persevere and follow Him throughout my days and receive those rewards. But for the other, they will reap rewards as well, but it will be rewards of judgment, everlasting judgment. As long as the Lord is King forever and ever, they will also be judged for their sins against Him, which will be forever and ever. The wicked will perish out of his land. What we are told in the scripture about the new heavens and the new earth and the new city of Jerusalem in Revelation chapter 21, what 20, 21, and 22 is this great truth that there are those who are without, who don't know the Lord, and they're going to be outside. There's nothing, nothing can come into those gates that isn't righteous. No one can enter in to be there unless they are written in the Lamb's Book of Life, unless they are righteous before God. That means that one day they will perish out of his land and, and this is this earth for those who are wicked, this earth for those who don't know the Lord and who continue to shake their fist at God or even come against you, the, the righteous in the Lord. And this is as close to heaven as there will ever be. But God does not, and neither do I tonight, go, oh good, they're going to get what they have coming to them. Rather, instead, my heart is, is saddened with the state that the wicked don't know they're wicked. So what is our job to do? It's to tell them the truth in love. I'm telling you you're wicked, not because I'm a mean preacher, but because I love you and I want you to love the Lord, to know him, but you won't unless you first know that you're wicked before him and need to repent and be born again. That's it. That's what this world needs to hear today. The world does not need to hear, you know, Sometimes you mess up. Sometimes you just have a bad day, and it's all right. You just try your best, and God understands. That's the wrong answer. We need to call folks to repentance. And I would say even more specifically, we need to call our own selves to repentance. Because much of what has just been spoken of here in this psalm, unfortunately, is far too prevalent in the church of God. What we know is this, though, that the Lord is king both of those are capitalized because both of those truly are his title the lord means sovereign ruler king as well one who rules with authority 
He is King of kings and Lord of lords. There is none that compared to him. Therefore, everything that is taking place in your life right now, he knows all about it. Therefore, everything that's going to take place in the rest of human history, he knows all about it. And I can trust in the fact that God is on his throne and that while here on this earth, it might seem that the wicked run rampant and the wicked may even rule over our countries and governments and land and, and people. There is a God in heaven who has ever been on the throne and forever shall be. There are none who can compare. There are none who can dethrone him. And there are none who will escape standing before his righteous throne where he will judge them. Tonight, our strength is found in this. Regardless of your circumstance or situation tonight, regardless, you might feel much like verse number one tonight. You very well may. You might feel as if you're far from God or he's far from you. But tonight, I want you to know this. Keep crying out to the Lord because... He will one day arise and lift up our, His hand and He does not forget the humble. And He has seen it. He knows your heart. He is the helper of the fatherless. He will break the arm of the wicked. He still remains king forever. One day those who don't know Him will perish out of His land while you and I get to enter into His land. And that verse 18, to judge the fatherless and the oppressed that the man of the earth may no more oppress. That there's coming a day not in this lifetime, but in the next, that there will be no more oppression. There will be no one else to come against you because they certainly can't come against God. And even right now, spiritually speaking, who can lay a charge against God's elect, according to Romans 8? Who can come against and, and lay a charge or come against those who God has loved and who God has bought and paid for? There's none. There is none that can condemn. Why? Because there is no more condemnation, no more separation in Christ Jesus our Lord. Tonight I want you to take this, that our strength in these days, these dark days, mind you, is knowing the King, trusting His rule, and waiting for His deliverance. Do you know that King? Tonight, are you trusting that King? May that be our hearts tonight. If each one of us bows our knee before the same King of kings and Lord of lords, it will make the problems that you and I have with one another and in this world a whole lot smaller compared to the throne of God above. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this night. We thank you for your goodness. Lord, we thank you for this psalm tonight that we can see your rule. We can see certainly the way in which that at times we ride this roller coaster of a Christian walk. But God, I pray that tonight if one of us feels far from you, Lord, that you would draw near to us as we draw near to you. Lord, that you would lift up and help the humble tonight. But Lord, I pray though that tonight if there's one wicked one in here, if there's one prideful one, that you would crush them, that they might be repentant. But Lord, if not, help us to know and to trust this, that one day you will have your way because you remain the Lord, King of kings and Lord of lords forever, forever. And Lord, you will remain on your throne. And one day you'll take care of all these things. So help us until that day to trust in you and to bow our knee before you and to follow you and to serve you. We love you because you first loved us and we thank you for this time. Go with us now and use us this week for your honor and for your glory. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.